John 20, period, because uh, there's a guy by the name of Thomas, which we won't get to today there. I kind of identify with this guy. Uh, he's one of those skeptics, as we will see today. We all are. Beginning in verse 1, it says this. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, followed him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, but not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say this to them. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he has said these things to her. Pray with me, would you? Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this day. Thank you for your word. Um, Father, we have the evidence, those of us who are here today and who know you, we have the evidence of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our hearts. We know it's to be true because he has revealed himself to us. But Lord, we're thankful that these words have been recorded. We're thankful that we can all see and hear the evidence of eyewitnesses who are just like the rest of us, people who needed to see, people who needed evidence, people who needed to figure it out, to reason together. And so, Lord Jesus, I just thank you for appearing that way, revealing yourself to Mary. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just bless us now as we go into your word and we we look at the beautiful truth that is in these words, that you have inspired the Apostle John to write the one who beat Peter to the tomb. And we love him for that. I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So to start, let me ask this question. Why is the resurrection of Jesus so remarkable? Why is it so remarkable? 
I'm pretty sure that most of you know the story. I really, I really am. I was thinking about this this week and in reading about it. We, we live in a day and an age. I mean, we do have the interweeb, right? We have Google. We have the Internet. But you've grown up in an age where even if you haven't grown up in the church, you basically know the story. You know the basic story about this good man who lived a good life, uh, although it was rather short. And by all accounts, he met with a very horrible death, despite his innocence on a Roman cross. And then after three days, he does exactly what he said he would do, and he told his disciples three times he would do, I will rise again. I will rise again. You know that. He's seen by all of his disciples after that, many times, a group of over 500 at one time, and others over a period of 40 days, eyewitnesses. The change in his closest followers is the most dramatic thing that most of us have probably heard about. In the days before his crucifixion, they can't even stay awake while he's praying, right? They can't stay awake and, and the, while he's waiting to be betrayed by one of his closest friends, one who he's walked with for nearly three years. Peter, his handpicked leader in making, does exactly what Jesus predicts he will do. He denies even knowing Jesus to a little girl because he's afraid that he will be killed just like Jesus. And then as we heard to, in today's text, he runs to the tomb to see what has happened to Jesus. And then, as we heard also in this today's text, we also see that Jesus, they were all changed, of course, by the rest of their lives. Every one of them, once they met Jesus, Mary meets him today, the rest of them early in the morning meet him the rest of the day, they meet him, the disciples, the apostles do, and then all these others meet him. Their lives are dramatically changed. You all know the story. Eleven of the twelve apostles go to their deaths some crucified because they refuse to deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think we know the story. Most of us know it. Today, the Roman Empire is long forgotten. Oh, Italy's still there. There's pasta and there's red wine, but Rome's gone. The power of Rome is gone. However, this lowly Galilean preacher, this Sermon on the Mount guy, He's more popular than ever, actually, despite what you might read. He's more popular than ever. In fact, some of us are here today because we want to believe it. We want to believe it. We want to believe it's true. So I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine you get a, you get a parcel from UPS. They come, they knock on your door. They got this box, right? They give you this box, and you, you get it, and, you, know, you open it. And inside this box, there's a key, and there's a letter. And the, the, the letter says... Okay, you don't know me, I'm not even going to tell you who I am, but there's, there's, a, there's a box down at the bus depot, and if you go down there and you put the key in there, I want you to believe this, there is more money in that box than you will ever need for the rest of your life. Now, let me ask you a question. <laughs> what would you do with that letter? You know, it's probably an internet scam, right? So you're just going to crinkle it up, and you're going to take the key and the letter, and you're going to throw it in the garbage, right? Or... Do you just have to go look? I, I, I think you have to go look, right? But why? The question is, why in the world do I have to go and look? Because, I don't know about you, but from my perspective, the offer is just too good to be true, but it's just too good. I have to go check it out. I have to go to find out whether or not it's true. So I think for most of you who are here today who are Christians, 
This is what we have to do with the resurrection. I think actually most of you who are Christians here today, who sang those songs, those beautiful songs that we sang today, and truly know in your hearts that it's true and that you belong to him, and more importantly, he belongs to you, you've had to investigate the resurrection. You know, we didn't all have these frontal lobotomies walk in here and go, oh. You had to check it out. You had to reason and and rationalize it. You needed to see and hear the evidence, but there is more, as we'll see today. And what we found is marvelous. We found that it's marvelous. But the first thing that we find that you will find if you're here today and you're thinking, yeah, I've heard all this before. There's no surprises in the story for me. I I just don't see it. It's a good story. It it warms my heart, and I'm glad to be here because once and twice a year it does a good thing for me. But there's more to it. All of the big biblical narratives, the stories about the resurrection of Jesus are about people just like every one of us in this room. Those are why they're written. Those, who, those stories are for you and for me. And they're, they're there so that we will desire to investigate. And so the, the Bible, God, God's word is asking you, is imploring you, look in. <laughs> look in for yourself. And so here's what they found. They not only found that, Jesus, that the Jesus that they knew and have seen crucified was alive, truly alive, but they learned what that meant for them and for everyone who would ever believe. And that's what I hope you will learn today. What does it mean? Why is this important? So right there is one of the main reasons why, even if you're a skeptic, you have to investigate. I mean, the reality and truth is, if this is all true, the offer is too good. You're never going to get a better offer than this. Never. None of us will. So faith, and so what is it? What is it? Well, it's a faith. It's a hope, but it's a faith in the risen Christ who offers you and I much more than some airy-fairy belief in, you know, floating around in clouds for eternity. i got to be honest with you. That sounds boring, right? It's not, I mean, there's a, there's a commercial, like, you know, I think cream of some kind. I mean, come on, that... that but that's the impression a lot of people have. What, what is actually the offer? What's on the table? What is Christ offering you if you trust in him as your personal savior? The offer is incredible. Number one, he's offering you a new body. Anybody say amen? <laughs> Seriously. He's offering you a new body that, listen, will never degenerate, will never decay, will never suffer pain will never die. He's offering you a new body. He's offering you a new existence in a new and perfect world where all the facts are true. Oh, glorious day. Would that not be? This is one of the things that most people don't understand about salvation. You know, the the cross is our salvation from the penalty of sin. It, It has to be paid for. I mean, God is a just God, and he's not a just God if he doesn't punish sin. He's a loving God, and that's how he loves us, is by coming and dying for us. But the reality is, is we need God. We need our salvation to help us through this time in this life. And so the Holy Spirit is sent to give us the power to overcome that in this day and age. But the beauty is, one day we will be saved from the very presence of evil and sin, including mine and yours. Can you imagine what that place will be like for eternity. That's the offer. That is part of, here's the best part of the offer, though. The best part is God. Jesus. 
That, by the way, is the best part. It's not the mansions. It's not the, the, the beautiful new bodies and glorious bodies that, that don't suffer and die and have pain. It's not us being able to enjoy ourselves for eternity. It's us getting to enjoy him. And so that's the offer that Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection has for you today. And so now let's, let's unpack this passage and see what that offer is really like. See what Mary and the others who were there on that day saw in the offer that God gave to them. I want to show you three points about this offer. This is an offer of a reasonable faith, number one. Number two, it's an offer of God's mercy and love. And number three, the offer is God himself. I want to go back to our last passage that we read on Friday at the end of our Good Friday service in these verses from Matthew 27, verses 59 to 61. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. I think this indicates and highlights something quite remarkable and wonderful and amazing about the women who followed Jesus. I really do. I mean, you know, most of the New Testament, it's, it's all about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Apparently, it's all about the dudes, right? It's all about the guys. It's, it's all about the 12, you know? And, and they are, seem to be front and center. It's so remarkable that the day that Jesus rises from the dead, the first person he reveals himself to is Mary. And what we see is these, is these women, they're always there. It, it, it highlights this wonderful thing. Late in the day, on the night that Jesus has died, this man comes and says, a very wealthy man says, who's a disciple of his, says, look, I've got a tomb. I will, I will wrap him. I will put the, the embalming spices on him, and, and I will put him in my tomb. Will you let me have his body? And they say yes. He takes them there. Mary, two Marys, at least we know of the Marys. Uh, there are three major ones in the New Testament. One is the mother of Jesus, of course. They go to the tomb, and, and what we see here, this picture is, while all of this is going on, the scripture records that it's late at night on Friday, and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are just sitting there looking, waiting. So now there is probably no other woman, I think, including Jesus' own mother, who is more prominent in the days of Jesus' early ministry than Mary Magdalene. She followed Jesus from the earliest days. Of his ministry, we learn from Luke, the Gospel of Luke, that she, uh, Jesus, actually cast out seven demons from her. So we need to get a proper picture here of this woman. She was a Jew, but she was quite an outcast in her own culture because, first of all, she was a woman. We'll see more about that in a minute, unfortunately. But also because she was demon possessed. I mean, she she was as 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 a Gentile, as a dog to the Jewish people, because essentially in that day they would have seen her as somebody who was mentally ill. She was possessed. She was. These people were put outside of the city because they would harm themselves or other people. This is Mary, and and Jesus heals her. He casts out the demons. More importantly, for us to see here today is that these women, most of the women who followed Jesus, were were, were Jewish women, and they didn't just follow to serve the boys. They didn't just follow to do the dishes. <laughs> the reality is the scripture teaches us, we learned, that some of these women were materially well off. And they actually were some of the people who were supporting the ministry financially and materially so that the boys who'd left the fishing business and the tax collecting could do the work of ministry. That's part of who Mary Magdalene is. It's quite remarkable. And so it's unheard of also that, that women would be following a Jewish rabbi 
And Jesus allowed that. Most Jewish rabbis would say, ladies, ladies, it's nice to have you come hear my message, but you can go home now. No, 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 not with Jesus. Jesus was like, daughters, come with me. And Mary Magdalene was one of these amazing women. So now to our main passage today. Let me point out a subtlety that isn't obvious at first. It's a subtle difference in the way that men and women relate to reality. (laughs) Of course, most of you know that's true here today, don't you? Come on. We do, and it's not because we're not equal. It's because we are different. But there's some amazing things that we see in here. These women, Mary Magdalene as one of them, appear to simply want to be where Jesus is. They want to be present where Jesus is. In the Gospels, they're not front and center, as I've said, like the apostles, but they are right there at his feet. You can imagine on the Sermon on the Mount when his disciples are around them, they're right here. <laughs> the ladies are right up front. They, they, they're close to Jesus. They're, they're leaning into Jesus. The dudes are walking around going, yeah, good word, yeah, good, yeah, hey, listen, you guys all sit down. There's a different thing going on, I think, in this world. We know that the women then would have all heard Jesus' teachings over the past two to three years, and they would have heard him say, I will die, I will be killed by lawless men, but I will rise again on the third day. And I think you see in Matthew 27 and here in John 20 that the ladies are like, we're waiting. <laughs> There's a quiet, be still faith that the women exhibit here. It's an expectant faith as they're at the tomb. On the other hand, the guys are interesting. Let's go to John 20 and verse 1 where it says this. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. If you read Luke and the other Gospels, they all record this, by the way, and they record slightly different details. The women had come a little earlier. A few of them come earlier because uh, um, Joseph's preparation of Jesus' body wasn't complete before burial because of the, the, the Passover, and so they go back up there to finish the job, right? And so now this is Mary actually going up before that on her own where it's dark. It's very dark. It's before that has taken place, and they go and, and look for them. Actually, it's afterwards. Sorry. They go afterwards. So now after this particular point, I want you to just see that I've highlighted the word saw. Mark that. It's highlighted for us because we're going to come back to that. So right after this, Mary, as soon as this happens, you heard the reading, she runs. She runs back to where the disciples are from this place where he is buried. And it's probably about a 15, 20-minute run. And she runs to Peter and John. He's, of course, John is the disciple who Jesus loves, right? John has this propensity. For some reason, he just wants to tell us that he's the one that Jesus loves more. Right? And not only that, apparently he's faster than Peter. He just, he has to, I don't know, I, I can't wait to talk to him about this when I, when I meet him one day. But. So they, the, the lads, of course, when they hear this news, they run like crazy. And then we read about what John sees. See this in verses 5 to 7. And stooping in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him. And went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head. Not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. So do you see the details going on here that are recorded in the scripture by John, but the Holy Spirit's inspiring him about, now just a second, this is here and that's there, but it's not, something's going on here. We're supposed to see this, I think. So as I've been saying, maybe you've noticed the word saw has been highlighted in the text. I love the Greek language. I'm not a Greek scholar. Most of the people who go to the rock know I know about 15 words off by heart. 
But, but I do have uh, Bible software, and I do search it out every week. But the, the Greek here is amazing. And you don't see it in our English translations. There's no way of actually exposing it. So we need to see it. And it's important. It's obvious. And it's awesome. In Mary's case, when we saw the word saw, when she looked in, it's the, word, the Greek word blepo, which basically means saw, <laughs> to see, meaning to observe, with no other connotations behind it. But it changes for Peter. The word that Peter is using, that when it says Peter saw, it's the Greek word theero, which literally is where we get the word theorize from. And so John the Apostle is changing the words. The Holy Spirit is changing the Greek words to tell us something. It's interesting. What we see here is that they're using their reasoning and rationalizing abilities to understand what has happened. Mary sees things for what they are. She's always... There, because she has faith that what she has heard and seen of Jesus will come true. She has faith, quietly. She's waiting. Peter, I think representative of most men here, uh, leans toward the world of facts. Got a lot of that happening today, don't we? So he theorizes all the possibilities. But there's more, and it's even wonderful. In verses 8 to 10, it goes on to say this. Then the other disciple, John who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went home, (laughs) Peter and John. So John now takes his turn to look into the tomb, and the word here for saw is the word edon. And, And this word means to see with comprehension, to see with understanding. It's a different word that's being used here. So what does that mean? Since he goes on to say they didn't understand the scriptures yet. Well, two things most likely. Peter's theorizing probably would have been verbalized. We've got to picture this. We don't, the scripture doesn't record everything that happens. And so we've got to just imagine the two dudes are standing there going, Peter and John are going, talking to each other, going, so it doesn't make any sense. Like if, if, if grave robbers came you know, uh, you know, and stole his body, like why would they unwrap him? And you're like, where are the spices? And if that's the case, why in the world would you fold up all the cloths, right, and neatly tidy, put one over here and one over there? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And they're theorizing, talking it out loud, trying to figure out what happened. Secondly, I think it is this. John wasn't any smarter than Peter. That might be the, the thought that we have, that he's maybe a bit smarter, but he wasn't smarter than Peter, or Mary for that matter. And it takes us right to the first time, to the heart of what it means to be, to know Christ and how that happens. It takes us back to a passage in Matthew 16 uh, where we get the name for our church, actually, The Rock. And, and it's a point in time where Jesus says to his disciples, it's getting pretty serious now in his ministry, and he asks this question, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Peter being the bold you know, guy who's got to prove that he's got it right, he goes, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Do I get a star? Jesus' response is, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And that's from Matthew 16, 17. And this is exactly what I believe has happened here. On the Sunday morning at the tomb with John, they're all seeing, not fully understanding, but attempting to rationalize using all their reasoning capabilities. And in the end, they needed God to reveal himself to them. John was first, the rest 
would follow. That can happen for all of us here today. So finally on this point this morning, the three main characters in this story and on this morning in history, what was the key that they all needed to believe in the risen Christ? What was the key that they needed? Evidence. That's what they were all looking for. That's why we were there. They wanted to figure it out. They needed to see him, literally. And just like you and I today, they needed this. And here's one piece of key evidence for you and I here today about this whole story. That should be evidence for you to have faith here today. Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. The fact that this woman is recorded in the Scripture by Jewish men in that day and at that time, if you want people to believe, especially the people of Israel, the Jewish people at that day, to believe that the Messiah has risen from the dead, that he is Jesus, the one whom you crucified on the cross, the last person in the world you're going to use as your star witness is a woman. That has to tell us something very important about this story. The only reason why John records this is because it truly happened. You you wouldn't make this up. This wouldn't be the way to, to promote your new savior in that day and culture because of their sad view of women, quite frankly. So that's number one, our reasonable faith. Number two is... The offer is God's mercy and love. Look what it says in verses 11 and 12. But Mary, after the boys leave, right? after the guys go home, because they've looked at the facts and they're still ruminating, John has believed something. We don't know exactly what it is so far. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw. This is now the word theorize. Two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head and one at the feet, I think it's striking, really striking, that she's crying. She's weeping. It, again, it's not what you would write. <laughs> Women in their weakness, this is the way men viewed them in that day, it's just not a calling card for a, a strong, victorious king savior. It, it's just, it, it doesn't make any sense to write that, unless, of course, it's true. But what better way to show God's love and mercy to all of us than to start with someone like Mary. Just like Mary. So look at the way both the angels and especially Jesus come to her. The questions he asks and, and, and his gentleness. Her explanation to the angels is telling. She says, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him in verse 13. She calls Jesus my Lord. She has at that point in her life, at least, she doesn't believe yet. She hasn't seen him yet. The evidence hasn't been confirmed yet. But she has placed him there. And that's her hope. And she's being still in that. She's never doubted, like Thomas, later in the passage is seen. But she needs to see him. And so now notice how gentle and loving Jesus is to her. This is beautiful, how loving and gentle Jesus is to her with his first words, which were, woman, why are you weeping? Woman, why are you weeping? But the key word is not that here. The key word is, whom are you seeking? Jesus is making a point to her and to you and I there that her view of him is too small. It's too small. We first see how gentle and loving is toward her. Then he asks whom. It is the key word. Mary, too, has a cultural misunderstanding that is 
It's clouding her theorizing. She too has yet to comprehend a risen Savior. But let's, let's not miss this. He doesn't show up at that moment, and this is kind of crazy, but he doesn't show up at that moment to her in the way that a super, superhero would today, right? I mean, a superhero would arrive with a very bright suit on and with thunder and lightning and bolts and go, It's me! not Jesus. Instead, Mary. Bill. Sue. Glenn. Personal. Personal. This is the way he comes. See, Mary and the women who went with the spices, they were looking for a dead man, the body of, whom they could still love and nurture and care for. They weren't expecting this, but this is what he does. And this is how merciful and loving he is and how personal it is. Finally, point number three is he offers himself. Verses 15b to 16 say, Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, With one word, just this one soft word, Jesus comes to her and she believes. Only Jesus, hear this, coming to her, to us, brings saving faith. It's very personal. Neither our human reasoning nor rationalizing will ever be enough. Will ever be enough. There is nothing in you, there's nothing in me that makes it humanly possible to believe in our own strength, based on the evidence that we see. The skeptics among us are going to demand more evidence before they will believe. They'll say something like this, give me even better proof and I will believe. Who's making the decision here? Who's making the decision here? The religious among us will say, well, that's all well and good, but I think at the end of the day, if there's a God, if there really is a God, he will judge me good enough. Here's the truth. That is not the way it is with God. Not this God. Not the God who rose Jesus Christ from the dead. It's not the way it is with him. Truth is, he doesn't reveal himself to the proud. He doesn't reveal himself to the proud. Whether skeptic or religious, he will not reveal himself to that person. He reveals himself to those who know they're not worthy. People like Mary and Glenn, and fill in the blank with your name. Mary, a woman previously possessed by seven demons, was the first person to whom Jesus revealed himself and told to go and tell others. It's God who does the revealing, not us who does the deciding. We got to get that. We got to get that. And so my prayer for you here today is this. I'm going to close with this. Everybody say amen. My prayer for you here today is this. Skeptic or religious is that you will realize just how good God's offer is and what it cost him to make this offer to you today. My prayer is that you will pray and you will ask the Holy Spirit of God to reveal himself to you so that you will no longer be a skeptic and no longer be religious, but instead 
be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. At the end of the Bible, Jesus is speaking to some of the churches, giving them a bit of a report card. One of the churches in Philadelphia is, I kind of think it's like the rock. It's, there's some good things and some things not so good. Uh, but he tries to encourage them, and then he goes on to the Laodicean church, and then he, he, he says these words. He, he's basically saying to all the churches, and preach the gospel, don't, don't leave your first love, tell people about Jesus dying on the cross, that's Jesus, him speaking. And then he says these words, and I want you to hear them today, all of you here today who have yet to make that step of faith, because these are Jesus' last words to you as an offer. And he says this, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, man, woman, poor, doesn't matter. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Pray with me, would you?